0: hello and welcome to the highland bridge builders podcast i'm your host kyle Fagala, and today we have a very special teacher uh it's me so i guess not really a very special teacher but it is me so we are wrapping up our attributes of god series Uh, this was a book by aw tozer a collection of sermons from the 1950s. Uh, So Tozer was a speaker there in Chicago and uh, his words have have lived on. It's a really great book. We're wrapping up the final two chapters of what's actually his first book on the attributes of God. He does have another. We may get to that eventually. But today I'll be talking about God's holiness and God's perfection. I hope you enjoy it. Okay. Uh, So we did go see Star Wars uh, yesterday And I have found out that not everyone liked it the same way that I did. Has anyone seen it yet? I will not give any spoilers. Okay. All right. Um, So I uh, I guess by a show of thumbs, did you like it or did you not like it? You're sort of halfway in the middle. Okay, fair enough. This is like... Which way are we going? This is actually what Libby makes us do, and we don't want her to talk when we're trying to talk. We have to do that. That's what she asks to do, us to do. So she's just wait. This means just wait. This means don't say anything. This means go ahead. But anyway, her teacher does that with her because she talks constantly. But um, so I thought Star Wars, for what it's worth, for those of you who are planning to go see it, I thought it was really good. And it was one of those things where I was like, I mean, how much more could you want? Like, like what more were you expecting from a film? Could you imagine trying to make a film where people have all these strong opinions of something and no matter what decision you make, someone's gonna be critical of it. And, oh, you're, you know, you're going against the story, uh, the Star Wars way of doing things, or this is not how this guy should have been, or this shouldn't have been her parents, or you know there's those big questions, okay, that obviously are gonna be answered. Um, and so I don't even know why you would even want to try and make the movies, but I thought it was good. I wouldn't say it was perfect, okay, so we're going to be talking about perfection, okay. Um, but I would say that, man, it was pretty near to it. Um, but what I found is that everyone's idea of that is, is pretty different. So... Not really a great segue into what we're talking about, but I wanted to bring it up. It was a bunch of conversation I had last night as I was working on this. But um, what I do want to start with is we're talking about holiness and perfection. Is uh, Leonardo da Vinci? All right. So I'm a pretty big art fan. I got to go spend a summer in Italy. When you go to Italy for summer, you become you know you come back and you start you're still speaking in Italian and people are probably annoyed by you. But um, I got to learn a lot about art. And da Vinci is probably one of the more interesting. Of all the renaissance artists because not only was he an artist but he was a a scientist and i mean a true renaissance man he kind of kind of did it all Um, and they say that when he was painting his last supper has anyone seen the last supper the actual one i'm raising my hand but i have not i did not make it up there i think it's in milan Uh, but it's a fresco it's a huge painting that's the one thing about all these paintings that was always surprising to me was how big Some of them were. It was like, oh my goodness, this thing is enormous. Um, But it said that he had little difficulty with any of it. And I think this was true of da Vinci's, that most things came really easy to him, you could say. Um, But he did have trouble painting the faces. And so they said that he uh, ended up painting all the faces of the apostles. And he left one face that he just couldn't feel like he could paint. And that was the face of Jesus. He didn't feel like he was worthy to paint the face of Jesus. And as I think about it, uh, I've heard artists say that faces are the hardest things to paint if you're doing a portrait. I think that's pretty obvious. Maybe hair. You see a lot of bad hair in old paintings. Um, But uh, certainly the face of Jesus, like how would you paint the face of Jesus? How would you describe in in artistic form the face of of Jesus with all that goes into that? And so they said that he held off and kept holding off and he was unwilling to approach it, uh, but he knew that he must. And so then in impulsive carelessness of despair, it says he just painted it quickly and let it go. Um, He said, there is no use. I can't paint him. Think is interesting, Um, and I feel sort of like that talking about attributes of God. Um, I don't know if Eric would agree with that. It's kind of one of these things that it almost feels like, how can I possibly do any justice to this topic? I mean, I'm literally talking about His holiness and His perfection. Eee. Okay. Uh, Maybe I could review a movie that I really like, and maybe I could tell you why some things about it were great, some things weren't great. But if I'm talking about someone who's perfect, there's no flaw in it. How could I possibly do that? Uh, Tozer says the same sort of thing. He says, I think that same sense of despair is on my heart. There isn't any use for anybody to try and explain holiness. The greatest speakers on this subject can play their oratorical harps, but it sounds tinny and unreal. And when they are through, you've listened to music, but you haven't seen God. So let's look at a few scripture readings to kind of start on holiness. We'll do holiness for about 15-20 15-20 minutes and we'll we'll talk about perfection. And they are related. I think that's probably pretty obvious because God is perfect. He's holy. Okay, we'll talk about that. But uh, if some readers out there will help me out, we're going to do, and I'll just call them out and why don't I have four people raise their hands? Wow, right there. This is my reading group. Okay, cool. Um, so Eric, why don't you do Exodus 15-11? Will, why don't you do Psalm 22-3? Trey, Proverbs 9.10, and the Dudley, Isaiah six three. So these are all verses about holiness. I don't think that like... So I'm, I am grateful, I will say, that holiness and perfection are topics which I feel like I have a grasp on somewhat. I mean, some of these other ones, there was like eminence and infinitude. Was that Did you have both of those? I think you did. Or maybe you had eminence and... Oh, well, you don't remember. I think you had both. To me, that was the hardest because I don't really... I'm, well, I'm gonna, yeah, that's even maybe even worse. Yeah, that's hard. So I'm glad that I have these. But let's look a little bit at holiness. So Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in grace, doing wonders? Okay. And then Psalms 22, 3.
1: Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel.
0: Proverbs 9, 10.
1: Give instruction to a wise man and he will... Be still wiser. Teach a righteous
2: man, he will oh, I'm sorry, I read wrong The fear of the Lord is the beginning
0: of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy one is insight. Okay. Isaiah 6 3. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay. Great job. Okay, so I'm gonna ask, and this is like like maybe the most cliche question to ask when you're looking for a discussion, but uh, what is holiness? To you, how would you describe holiness? I know I've sat in classes and, and had this said, but what, what comes to mind when you first think about that?
1: Nothing. Okay.
0: in awe of something. Maybe I'll say deserving, deserving. awe. Yeah. yeah absolutely. He talks a lot about uh, how God is awful which is a hard thing you know because uh, we don't think that way we would say awesome I guess but you know he's he's full of awe he, he deserves our awe. So I didn't no, use we th- need a re- of reverence. okay yep yeah. that's like literally from the uh, definition. Or you, did you did you look it up? No.
1: Okay.
0: It's great. You're Yeah. Good retention. Okay. So the words that I had written down, I think a difference. I would say, you know, kind of the classic word you hear is "set apart." Like that would like literally be what the word means. So that's what my mind always goes to when I think of holy. I think of set apart, and then I think you like you know, you kind of have this. Um, kind of literal version of that in the Old Testament where you have literally God is set apart. Like he's literally, not only is in the holy place, which is inside, you know, this big gated off thing, he's even in the holy of holies. And so he's even like further set apart. And I think that was just a way for the Israelites to be able to like, you know, kind of touch and feel and understand kind of what God was in his holiness. And something that certainly we we lose. And I, I think that we would of more saying rightly so that, that God is near us and things like that. I mean, literally, that's what the theme is tonight, is that God came near. But um, I think there is a, an element of this set-apartness or this difference that we maybe lose some appreciation for. And then I have things like uh, he's reverend, he's sacred, he's worthy of praise. So I think these are all really great um, things to look at. So this is what Tozer says. I'm just going to read a few quotes throughout today um, where I feel like he describes it better than I could. But holiness mean, means purity, but purity doesn't really describe it well enough. Purity means, uh, merely means that it is unmixed with nothing else in it, but that isn't enough. We talk of moral excellence, but that is inadequate. To be morally excellent is to exceed someone else in moral character. But when we say that God is morally excellent, who is it that He exceeds? The angels, the seraphim? Surely He does, but that is still not enough. We mean rectitude. We mean honor. We mean truth and righteousness. We mean all of these, uncreated and eternal. So just a couple kind of points of discussion as we talk about this. I mean, we could just kind of define these words and then move on. But I think it's nice to look at maybe why we struggle to understand it. And I think with each of these attributes of God, I think that there is an element of us maybe not getting it completely. I think we know these, like if it's a, you know, a psychology test in college, like I think I could check the right box. Like I think I know what God is or how he would line up. Um, I don't know that I understand it fully. And so uh, let's, look, let's look at some of those. So I think one of the things he says is that we cannot understand holiness. And let me ask you this, is that why, if you think that that's true, if you think that you can not understand holiness perfectly, which I think was, is pretty fair, as I ask, like, what do you think of when you think of holiness? It's like, ooh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to put an exact grasp on that. Why is it hard to understand holiness, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I guess you could say we've, we've never really seen it. I think that's going to be sort of an ongoing theme in some of this, for sure. Um, what, what he says is just that it's, it's difficult because we are sort of the opposite of holiness. And so, you know, obviously if holiness is set apart, well, then that leaves someone who's on the other side of the wall, I guess, and that's us. And so he says, um, you know, we're sinful. We're fallen beings. He says we're spiritually, morally, mentally, and physically fallen. Even our whitest white is dingy gray. I don't know if that's popular language. It's definitely popular for, for Tozer. He's pretty, pretty hard-lined, and I'm, I'm sure has his sort of um, influenced a lot of popular preachers in the way that they, they kind of talk of, of, of people. And I... I think he's right. I, I don't feel like it's the popular language of now. I mean, this was 1952, or 53, something like that, when he gave this sermon. And I don't think in today's America, like, I don't know if it would preach as well uh, to just consistently talk about people as sinners, as even, even your best is, is nothing, you know? But I do you think that's biblical. I think we, we talk about that. I think we talk in those ways. It's not to say that Eric and Chris don't. I just, I don't think it's, it's not maybe the most fun way to get up and preach uh, to a group, right? And so it's, it's easier to kind of focus on the ways in which we are good because of the gifts of Jesus. Uh, but we are flawed people. And I think because of that, it's hard to understand holiness. And I think there's a lot of examples that you could give of that sort of thing. And so if you're not surrounded by something, it's hard to understand it. And we are surrounded by flawed people. Okay? He has this beautiful quote. And I think maybe the, the, my favorite thing about history, my favorite thing about reading books from 50, 60, 70 years ago, even 100 years ago, is being able to appreciate that things aren't that different and to be able to appreciate that things that we deal with, that we think are unique to us, really aren't that different. And if you had it told me that this quote was 70 years old, I would think it was written you know, in the Washington Post today. But let me read it. Our noblest heroes are soiled heroes, all of them. So we learn to excuse and overlook and not to expect too much. We don't expect all truth from our teachers and we don't expect faithfulness from our politicians. We quickly forgive them when they lie to us, and then we vote for them again. We don't expect honesty from our merchants, we don't expect complete trustworthiness from anybody, and we manage to get along in the world only by passing laws to protect ourselves not only from the criminal element, but from the best people there are who might in the moment of temptation take advantage of us. This kind of world gets into our pores, into our nerves, until we have lost the ability to conceive of the holy. Still, I will endeavor to discuss the holiness of God, the Holy One. We cannot comprehend it, and we certainly cannot define it. Because of this, and because of who we are, we can't really understand holiness. Um, this whole like discussion here kind of reminded me of something, and I will lift it up and ask, um, and be honest. Have you ever seen this? Do you know what this is? Has anyone? Oh, how disappointing. Okay. All right, well, I will, I will kind of keep it here as I talk about this. Nobody? OK. This is what my mind went to. I don't know if we if, It is a rhinoceros. <laughs> Very good. That was all I was wanting to do. If I, if it's a rhinoceros. Have you ever it. been to the zoo? Come on. I, you've been to the zoo. Y'all go to the zoo all the time. Um, it is a rhinoceros. But it is a specific rhinoceros. This is, and I don't speak German, but this is, has an, an umlaut in here. But I if that's not, it's, I'll, I'll it yeah, see, come on. Everybody, let's give a little no. light, light applause for Grant. <laughs> Very good. You teach art, right? Yeah, that's really impressive. That's very great. This is, in fact, Durer's Rhinoceros. Um, and it's a woodcut that was executed by a German painter and I guess woodcutter now, printmaker, Albrecht Durer. Very good. This is from 1515, okay? So, a woodcut. So, I mean, as impressive as it may or may not be to you, this was cut in wood. It's kind of impressive to me, I think. It'd be hard to do, right? You cut wood. This is great. That's why he you knew he is. Um, and so it's what's interesting about this and why my mind went to it is, is it's based on a written description and a brief sketch. And brief sketch is a nice way of saying what he based it on. It was a terrible sketch. It looked like if you'd asked me to draw a rhinoceros. That's what he based it on. So he had never actually seen a rhinoceros. The first rhinoceros to visit Europe since Roman times was in 1515 in Portugal, in Lisbon. And so this guy never got to see it, but he read about it. Okay, And then he saw this like really a bad. T- I wish I had printed off the sketch. It's kind of like that, the, like the Pinterest, like nailed it series that you see where you try and, you know, and it looks terrible. But um, and so it says here, I'll just read it, is that Durer's woodcut woodcut is not an entirely accurate representation of a rhinoceros. Okay. It looks pretty good. You knew it was a rhinoceros, uh, but he depicts an animal with hard plates that cover its body like sheets of armor with a gorget at the throat, whatever that is, a solid looking breastplate, breastplate and rivets along the seams. He places a small twisted horn on its back and gives it scaly legs and saw-like rear quarters. And the problem with that is that none of these features are present in a real rhinoceros. Um, And it says further that despite its anatomical inaccuracies, Durer's woodcut became very popular in Europe and was copied many times in the following three centuries. Uh, It was regarded by Westerners as a true representation of a rhinoceros into the late 18th century. This is my favorite part is, is that Uh, It's been said of his woodcut that probably no animal picture has exerted such a profound influence on the arts. Wow, is that a bold statement? Yeah, so probably no animal picture has exerted such a profound influence on the arts. That's crazy, and the reason it's crazy is because this woodcut is not accurate, and it was drawn by a man who had never seen a rhinoceros, and it was relevant for 300 years. The reason I bring it up and why it comes to mind is because I'm sitting here trying to explain to you holiness And I've never seen holiness, okay? I can't describe it perfectly, and I don't think anyone else can, okay? And so that really hits home for me as I try and do this. Um, All right, so there are two words for holiness. Uh, There uh, is a word, and this is from the Old Testament, that describes God typically, and I am not the word guy, and I feel like every time I I feel the need to say that. Does that get old for you? People defer to your knowledge of Hebrew and Greek. (laughs) So, like, I obviously don't, you know, know Greek and Hebrew and whatever else, obviously. um, But I'm just going to say what Tozer says. Uh, There is one that describes God, sort of as the Holy One. So, if you read that in your Bible, the Holy One that was in a verse that one of you guys read, uh, that is the the word for holy, holy that describes God. And then there's another one that means holy by association. I think this is interesting. So, there's a word that's usually used to describe God, so that kind of a holy. And then there's one that's like, well, because you're sort of uh, next to or associated with, you, you are holy in a sense. And so words like holy ground, holy Sabbath, holy city, holy people, holy works, holy Bible, okay? Um, and so here's kind of my question for you, so kind of be thinking along those lines. Uh, considering there are only two words for holy, like we said, one that describes God, and then one that, that means holy by association, what does that mean for us in our relationship with God? I hope that's an answerable question. But if we have two words for holy, holy God, then we have holy by association, what does that kind of mean for us in our relationship with God?
2: Well, that as we live by faith, not by sight as such, that we should strive to be more like Him Mm -hmm. As as we learn, as we read the Word and whatever what made the attributes that made God holy. We need to strive for that. We'll never reach it this side of heaven, but it's what we should be striving for daily, working toward.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the point As of the series.
2: As we with Him through prayer, through
0: So does it sort of compel you to something, or kind of uh, maybe bring out sort of anything in your mind? I guess. I think you know the English language. You know, there's there's advantages, disadvantages. But I think one is that there's it frustrates me when we when you see that there's like words in the Greek. that's like, well, this actually means three different things, and this specific one. It's like, well, why don't you have a word for that, or put something in parentheses? Like, I'm a detail person. I watch every movie with captions on. Like, I like I don't like to miss anything. Um, so it's always frustrating to hear, wait, that's there's two words for Holy, which I I, I kind of lost that, you know. I think for me, it's just simply that, it, <laughs> that just like holiness and that we're set apart, we're even set apart with the words. Like we're not even good enough to like have the word. Um, and so any, any understanding that we could have is, is only going to be so much. We can never even begin to be defined by a word that only God can be defined by. So. Um, here's another thing that he brings up and I I think there's some truth to this is he says that Christians are too familiar with God and he talks about this throughout both chapters Uh, David says this a lot that Jesus is not our homeboy I don't know if any of us think of Jesus as our homeboy but there is that shirt that says that Um, I do think we sometimes we, we sort of want to distill down who Jesus is or who God is to make him more approachable I think that's true and I think that's kind of what he's getting at and so uh, it would mean that most of us, uh, he would say, are technically Christians, uh, maybe Christians in name, and we think we know God, but in, in fact, maybe we only know a sort of caricature of God or a version of God was maybe easy to swallow, and we sort of said our prayer, we got our quick baptism, and we've never really gotten to know God more than that. We've kind of gone on a first date with God, and we've never really done any, you know, gone any further in that relationship. He says that if I haven't felt the sense of violent, vileness, By contrast, with a sense of unapproachable and indescribable holiness, this is of God, I wonder if I have ever been hit hard enough to really repent. And if I don't repent, I wonder if I can believe. Uh, So he talks about Bishop Usher, and Bishop Usher, the thing I know him for is is giving dates to, you know, since creation to now, and, and I think like inaccurately but anyway a good guy and he talks about how perhaps this most holy of men in that certain area I think he was either Irish or Scottish I can't remember but in about the 1700s every day he would go by the river and he would specifically pray for the sins that he had and so he was talking about how what you might call like the best man he still spent every day realizing how wretched he was you could say so maybe he had a greater understanding of holiness than maybe others did and he would say that if you, if you don't have a sense of how different we are and how set apart we really are from God, then you certainly don't understand His holiness. And uh, I guess it's a rhetorical question, but are, are we guilty of that today? I think for me there's definitely some truth in that. I think we want to believe that we're good. I think we want to believe that the things that we do matter and ultimately are important in the sense that they're good things. That everyone would say, well, I'm a good person. I bring this up whenever this comes up, but there was uh, this game show where... It was a lie detector test, and this, this girl was doing really well. If you've heard me tell this story before, I'm sorry. But um, you know, it was asking all these questions like, first, you know, what's your name? Sarah. Yes, that's right. And then on through it, it was, got kind of awkward. Her boyfriend was in the, uh, the crowd, or maybe even her husband's. Like, have you ever cheated on your husband? Yes. And so he was just ruined because you know, she was telling the truth, um, and so on and so forth. Then it asked the question, do you think that you're a good person? And she said, yes. And she was lying. <laughs> um, and so I, I, think, uh, I think we're like that. I think, you know, if you ask us, are we good people? Yeah, I'm a good person. I, you, know, I, you know, I've worked at a soup kitchen three years ago. I'm a good, I'm a good person. Um, but, but we're not by any definition that approaches what we're talking about today. Okay, so, and then there's this, the fiery holiness of God, he calls, uh, this section. And he presents the picture of God as fire. Isn't that exciting? And so if you're, you're coming up with your top ten list of ways to describe God, who's putting fiery in there? Putting fiery in there? Probably not. Um, but it's, it's pretty relevant. God is called a consuming fire in Hebrews, a devouring fire in Isaiah. As you remember, God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He led the Israelites as a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. Uh, tongues of fire descended on the heads of the disciples at Pentecost. And the same awesome fire one day will dissolve heaven and earth. And so that's, that's God. Uh, so if we talk about God as a devouring and consuming fire... This is not, you know, Grant talks about lamb, pet, or Jesus. This is not like homeboy God. This is devouring and consuming fire God. This is, this is not the one that you lead with, right? Okay. Have you met Jesus Christ or devouring and consuming fire? No, I, I have not. That sounds scary. But if that is true, and that is a way in which God is described, okay, uh, we should stand in awe of that. If that's something that's true, and I think for the Israelites, for Moses, for Whomever saw God in this form, it would not be the sort of thing that they would be like. What's up, dude? You know, this would be, oh my gosh, you know. And so we we see that in God in that way, uh, in a holy God, a set apart God, a God that we should show reverence to. We have Isaiah that describes a throne with seraphim, so angels, and they would have six wings. Do you know what they did with their six wings? Any guesses? Covered their hands, covered their feet. Close. So two of them they flew with. Okay, they got to be able to fly. They're angels. Okay, yeah. So no, you're right. They covered their eyes or their heads, and then they covered their feet, um, and then they flew. They got to be able to fly. So they had, that's why they have six. Um, we, that was good. That was good. You get partial credit. Man, you're an easy teacher there. Still a failing grade. Um, then we have, you know, we're talking about awe. So we have angel- literally the angels, okay? All right, this is probably about as close as we can get to God, I guess, in a sense, you know, covering themselves when in the presence of God. We have the high priest. You probably remember this, that when they go to the Holy of Holies only once a year, they have all these, like, ceremonies they go through. They wash their hands. They do all this kind of stuff. They, they kill animals. They, they come covered in blood. Is that right? And then they cover the altar with blood. Okay. They also tie a rope around their legs so if they mess up, they can be pulled out when they die. Man, um, He even asked this question of, do you think that they even looked at the altar, or do you think they kind of kept their heads down? You know, we don't know, but I think definitely if you're going in with a rope tied around your legs, you're probably going to be a little bit careful, right? That's like meeting your in-laws for the first time. You know, you're like, just tie a rope around me and pull me out if I die. <laughs> um, Moses hid his face in the presence of God when God walked by. Uh, John fell down when he saw God in Revelation, and Paul went blind, literally. When he saw, you know, God on the road to Damascus or Jesus. Um, and so here's my question as we talk about this. Again, this is not top 10 stuff. This is not like popular, you know, come to Jesus stuff. But uh, how can we see God as a devouring fire and still draw near to him? Um, C.S. Lewis calls him the supreme terror. <laughs> um, so how can we, we accept that and still desire him? So I'm, I'm asking you that. Hit me with it. Does knowledge of that make you want to draw nearer to God? <coughs> does it, I mean, what does it make you feel?
1: Any help? Go ahead. Okay, I think it's certainly intimidating, but the, the flip side from earlier chapters being that that all consuming, terrifying fire is righteous and just, hmm. like, to me, that mitigates it a little bit. That doesn't change my terror shortcomings when I think about that you know thinking about that consuming fire makes you more aware of those shortcomings but I don't know knowing that that fire is righteous just perfect and I don't know I have to wrap my mind around that as a human but if I can kind of tell myself that maybe it kind of mitigates
0: it okay yeah yeah that's that's hard I don't think we like that yeah Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I think that kind of like echoes, like when we have a discussion about hell, or like it's difficult for us. We don't like the idea of anyone going to hell, or how could a good God send, uh, you know, people, good, you know, good people to hell or whatever. Um, and I think that understanding of those topics requires an understanding of, of holiness and righteousness and justice. And in just a sort of secular, you know, humanistic point of view, well, everyone deserves good things because we're all good people. Um, but I think time and time again, we sort of look at that God wouldn't say that that's true. So, uh, yeah, it's scary, consuming fire, devouring fire. But if it's if it's just, if it's fair, then maybe we love justice. We love fairness. So maybe we understand it better. That's good.
3: I think, too, that that's the beauty of Jesus is that I think God, I don't know, like, and who knows, it's hard to talk about, like, why God or, or what why he does what he does or whatever because is holy, and we have so little understanding. But I think, like, he he kn- knows that it's really hard for humans who He created to want to draw near to this like burning fire, to have a relationship with that. And so I think there's real beauty through His perfect plan through Jesus and coming to us, kind of like in a so that we don't have to necessarily come or try to draw near to this consuming
0: fire. Like we have Jesus. Mm so <laughs> there's more to him than that <laughs> yeah. i don't know. yeah that's just one part of the like anyone could read that i don't even know why i'm bothering <laughs> <laughs> okay
2: well, said, i read this book um by a guy named brian zahn called sinners in the hands of a loving god yeah and um, the, like the most famous sermon in american history is by a guy named Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry god mm-hmm. and um it's kind of like frontier revival preaching to kind of scare people Emphasizing the holy terror of God. And, and Zahn's point in the book is that we get the, the fullest revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Like, so if you, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. Jesus in the revelation. So I, that's just to echo what Anna said. That yeah. It, yeah, there's. <coughs> that. that doesn't mean Jesus isn't consuming or.
0: Um, right. I'd love to dig in on that and kind of understand that that tension and and why it seems like I guess on a basic level, like in the Old Testament, you have a God that is you'd say all these things about, and then in the New Testament, you have Jesus, and it's, it seems different. And I don't know if it's just.
2: Yeah,
0: mm-hmm But it's also, and I know, you know, it's not to say that that Jesus doesn't talk about people burning for eternity. <laughs> you know, so I, he's not just all you know sugar plums and whatever you'd say. Yeah, homeboy Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's great. I love that. All right. So let's let's kind of jump into perfection. So we spent a lot of time on holiness. Like I said, they're related because God is perfect. He is set apart. He's holy. He deserves our praise. Um, and there are plenty of verses that we could look at for calling God perfect. Uh, that's a really consistent concept. Uh, Jesus was perfect on earth. We know this. Um, and again, this is why God is holy. And so we look at perfection as sort of a definition. This is one of those like, well, duh, I know what perfection is. Uh, but it's the highest possible degree of excellence. The problem with this is, again, these are human words trying to describe something that's not human. Okay? But uh, excellence means being in a state of excelling, which implies a comparison to something or someone. Okay, so we could say that there is a musician who's excellent. Bob Buckley, if you come tonight on the bass, he's excellent. He's the best bass player I've played with. He's really good. I mean, he really, from music theory to being able to play to being able to work with, really he's excellent. And so he's better than any bass player I've ever played with. And I've played with some good bass players. Um, you could say that a film is excellent and that it's better than others. And so I could rank the Star Wars films for you and say which one is is more excellent. Or I might even say a film that it's perfect. Okay, I could say, that was a perfect film. Now, I wouldn't because that's silly, but I could say, man, that is near perfect. That was really good. Um, you could even say of an athlete, like a baseball pitcher, I would just say a pitcher, but to, if in case you're lost on that, baseball pitcher, okay, he could throw a perfect game. We know what a perfect game is. There's only been eight or nine, like ever. That means no errors, no walks. You strike, not you strike everyone out, but you, you get everyone out in uh, one way or another. Okay, perfect game. Okay, that was a really, really excellent game, right? Um, You could even say of a day or a meal or whatever that it was a perfect day, a perfect meal, because it was better than any other that you either can remember that you've ever experienced. Okay, we understand that. However, when we talk about God, it's it's different. Okay, because God has no degrees. Uh, I think we talked about this when we talked about uh, the infinitude of God. Whoever that was that did that, but um, that there are no degrees to God. You know, and you talked about it maybe with imminence that. God is not just outside of everything. He's also inside of everything. He's not to the side of things. He's both to the side and in those things. I mean, he's, he's not less than or more than. He, he just is. And so He's not more excellent. He can't compare Him. Okay, And so He, he, just, he just is perfection. And so it's kind of like anything else that we call perfect or excellent. It's just sort of a cloudy reflection of what really excellence or perfection is. Okay, uh, He says that God is simply God, an infinite perfection of fullness, and we cannot say that God is a little more or a little less. He's incomparable. Isaiah forty twenty five says, To whom then will you compare me, this is God, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Okay? So you can't compare him. Uh, I think this is also interesting. This is, I think, why the, the Second Commandment, and if you remember the Second Commandment, does anyone know what the Second Commandment is? If you're a Ten Commandments expert. Nobody wants to be wrong. This is one of those times where you probably know, but you don't want to be wrong because you'll look stupid. I get it. Man, you, you're so smart. You got it. I'm making up yeah. for the last one. Yeah, you made it for the last one. You did, you did great. Thank you for participating. Yeah, it's thou shalt not make any graven images or any idols, Okay, any carved uh, versions of God. And I think it's funny that Toaster says, it's not because God didn't like art. I think that's funny. Um, it's that God didn't want you to try and compare him to something else okay, or to act like something could stand in for God, okay, you, you can't compare him, he's, he's incomparable. Okay, so I think for time we're just going to sort of glance through, through this little section. He talks about what's called our gains and losses, and I think this is really interesting. I was going to write it up on the board and have us do some interaction, but um, I think we can kind of do this rhetorically. Here are what he calls the gains of the 1950s church, and I think this is great. Um, and so he talks about how they've had increased church attendance, more people identifying themselves as Christians, an increase in the number of Christian schools, colleges, and seminaries, dramatic growth in Christian literature, an increase in the popularity of the gospel, better communication, radio, TV, telephone. He makes a little uh, negative comment about TV, which I think is funny. But, um, and then great strides in worldwide evangelism. He says, we cannot deny that a lot of good is being done and the gospel is being spread around. Okay, so we, we could then, we could list up some gains of the church today. Maybe throw some out. Let's, let's do like two or three. What are, what are some ways in which the church has gained or has, has, has improved, is, is better today? What are some things that are going well? Either for Highland or the church at large. Nice. It's funny how you brought that up when he's sitting behind you. You know, it's a great job. Um, two,
2: two views. Two um, But yeah, just being able to
0: have more access. To- yeah, yeah. He talks about communication being better. Well, man, we've got we've got that nineteen fifties church whooped on communication for sure. Does that
1: access? ways that you probably would have been slower or less accurate prior to that.
2: Yeah, along those lines I am I about just the amount of resources we're able to share with the world just from this one church here. You know, like we gave like half a million dollars away last year. It's just
0: it's a big impact. hmm Yeah, for sure. I think just he talks about, you know, you've got uh, dramatic growth in Christian literature. Think about the last 60, 70 years of, of that. I mean, now if you're a preacher, or if I'm preparing for a class, I mean, I have every answer that I could ever possibly need. I even think as I'm reading this is like, how would he have fact-checked that? You know, it's like, oh my goodness. He didn't have spell check. He misspelled Da Vinci. There's a space between Da and Vinci and he didn't know, you know. So there's just some interesting things in terms of our gains. so we could do many more. Now here's the converse. What about our losses? Okay? And I think all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's a lot easier. We do a lot of things wrong. You know, we've lost a lot of things. Um, he talks about, kind of his focus is, is that, while all these good things have happened, uh, we've had a loss in religious fear, he calls it, which leads to flippancy and familiarity towards God that our fathers never knew. Um, I would say that, and we can list out our losses and we were going to do that, and you can kind of just think through the things that maybe the church today has lost. And it's easy to critique and it's funny seeing what he says, and it's, well, it's really not that different. I would say that my first thing is that we're too culturally influenced. Um, but the one thing he says is that the world is too much with us. He says the same thing. I mean, really, like, there's no difference. Um, he also identifies a couple other things. Uh, one that he calls that we have no awareness of the eternal. Um, and so he identifies a loss in the church of an awareness of what, he's, what he calls the invisible and eternal, a consciousness of the divine presence with divine majesty. Hmm. Now, why do you think that we, if you agree, I, I agree, that we, we have not enough awareness of the invisible and eternal? And I think you look at our culture, and it maybe it's easy to say this is the time in history where we are most this way, but I think we have a very short attention span. I think that scientifically that would, that would be proved to be true, that we have the shortest attention span ever. I think Chris maybe preached about this and says that now our attention span is shorter than, what did he say, what was like a like a cat or something, I don't know, whatever. We have a very short attention span. Uh, We want things now, and we also want proof, okay? We're in a very like proof-driven, scientific-driven culture right now, and so atheists, kind of the premise of, of their religion, as it were, is to say that I will only believe in things that I can see or that can be proven by science. God cannot be proven by science. He cannot be tested under a scientific method, and so God does not exist. That oversimplifies it, but that's pretty accurate. And so I think we we have no appreciation to some degree of invisible and eternal things that are outside of what we can see with our sort of narrow view. Here's a quote from Tozer. We've got about five minutes. The modern Christian has lost a sense, and the modern Christian being a 1950s Christian, has lost a sense of worship along with the concept of majesty and, of course, reverence as well. He has lost his ability to withdraw inwardly and commune in the secret place with God in the shrine of his own hidden spirit. It is this that makes Christianity, and we have all but lost it. Added numbers, yes, but lost fear. Multiplied schools, yes, but lost awareness of the invisible. Tons of literature being poured out, of course, but no consciousness of the divine presence. Better communication, certainly, but nothing to communicate. Evangelistic organizations, yes, but the concept of majesty and worship and reverence has almost left us. Maybe he's a little harsh, but that's probably true. Um, yeah, I think it's true of the internet is that we have every answer that we could ever want, and we don't really want any of them. <laughs> like, uh, you know, we're, 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 we are we we're could ask any question that we could possibly ask, and most of us go through life, you know, watching the next show on Netflix. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, I'll keep watching. You know, we're not asking these deep questions, and we have more access to this information than we've ever had before.
2: lost that sense of urgency of the
0: gospel. Oh, absolutely. If we ever had it. Because of our, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. And the reason being... Either we don't really believe it, or we don't care about other people, I don't know which is worse, um, or we don't understand God, or maybe we feel like we have more time. I don't know. There's, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. For sure we do. Um, he makes this connection, and then we'll, we'll wrap up, but uh, he says that when we look at external gains of a church, he says there's an inverse relationship between that and internal losses. Okay, so if we get more external gains, he says that we get more... So I guess it's a direct relationship, we get more internal losses. Okay, what he means by that is, is that uh, when our gains are mostly external, we start to have losses that are internal. Okay, and so we oftentimes focus on the externals the neglect of our inner relationship with God. So my question, if you're following that, and are you following that, if we focus too much on the outside, on, on the things that we talked about, so what are the gains of the church? Well, we've grown in numbers, we have more communication, Christian literature is great. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, Sometimes it means that the inside maybe gets a little hollow. Maybe we're a little whitewashed, you could say. Um, My question is, do external gains have to be accompanied by internal losses, and can we have both?
3: And whatever else, then internally, I think you really have to, like, intentionally make yourself check, um, because you're not maybe brought to your knees, and you know it's not demanded of you. And so I think that that happens to the church if the church is growing, and we're doing all these good things, and we're raising the money, we're hitting our marks when we're raising money to support missions and stuff. I think we tend to think that everything's fine and dandy.
1: Well, and I think that those factors that he lists for the '50s, and that we kind of brainstorm for today, like those are outward things, right? Those are things that are more easily quantifiable. That's why we go there. Like it's easier to say we have more Christians because we can count them. It's harder to say we understand or have more respect for God because how in the world would you quantify mm-hmm. that? But I mean, that's probably the root of the matter anyway. Is if you're looking at something that humans quantify as a game even. Like when you were reading his list, I was thinking of a few of the things kind of in historical context of the 1950s thinking, yeah, I don't know if that was a good thing. Yeah, I don't know if that was (laughs) a good thing. And I mean, I think if we rely on that as our idea of whether or not we're on the right track, I mean, yeah, of course we're gonna end up hollow and not having it because we're focusing or counting on the one thing that doesn't seem to matter as much. Like I feel like if you're focused on the inside perspective and relationships with God, then your numbers are naturally growing. Like you can have both, but it depends which one you start with.
0: So that's the answer. So Scott, you just totally redeemed yourself. Um, That's his answer for how can you have both is to not focus on the external gains. As easy as that is, as a manager of people and owning a business, that's what's easy. That's what you use to drive people. We need 42 starts this month or whatever it is. the smarter thing would be to focus on who, who we are, what are our core values, what drives us, why are we doing this, and then the, the what and how will follow, that the results will follow. And so if we focus on our internal relationship with God, it will usually result in outward growth, is what he says. And that's supremely simple, okay, but it doesn't mean that we follow it. Um, and then usually focusing on the outward result will lead to loss eventually, both inwardly and, ironically, outwardly, mm-hmm. okay. Um, He says that I believe that we will never recover our glory as a church until we are brought to see again the awesome perfections of God. So we need to spend more time talking about the holiness and perfection of God. We need to recapture the majesty of God. I'm going to end with a prayer by Tozer. I know we're a little late in that. We don't have any announcements after, so we'll just be done. I hope to see you tonight. But let me read this prayer. It's uh, not too long, but I think it's great. So, O God, our Father, how easy it is to backslide, to be living and yet be dead, How easy it is to become part of a troop of jolly church people, chattering and giggling while the world grows old, the judgment draws near, hell enlarges its borders, and the Antichrist prepares himself to take over. While the world is unifying itself and getting ready for a king, oh God, my church is playing and saying, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We have more people attending. We have more money than we have ever had. Our churches cost more and our schools are full and our programs are many we are forgetting, O oh my God, that the quality of our Christianity has been greatly impaired. O oh, restore again, we cry. Restore again to Thy Church her vision of Thee. Restore again to Thy Church her sight of the great God. Show us Thy face, Thy lovely face, a permanent view of majesty. We will not ask for a transient beam. We want a permanent sight of Thee and all Thy wonder. O oh God, men uh, sin on and on while they smile at religion. They laugh about it and tolerate it. But, O oh God, we have lost our fear and our sense of majesty and our awe. Give back to us, we pray, the majesty in the heavens. Give back to us a sight of majesty again, so we can know how wonderful thou art. Thy majesty, how bright, how beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light. Send us forth to pray, to walk about knowing that we are in the garden indeed, even as thou didst walk in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam hid. Oh, how many of us, Lord, hide behind one thing or another, because we are not morally and spiritually prepared to come out and walk with thee. But Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Moses looked upon thy face, and his face did shine. O oh, God, send us out not only to make converts, but to glorify the Father, and to hold up the beauty of Jesus Christ to men. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, so that is it for our Attributes of God series. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. If you uh, have a chance to get the book, you can buy it on Amazon, get it shipped to yourself. It's really great, really great. And I think being able to get a sense for the issues the church was going through, you know, at least in Chicago at, at Tozer's church, uh, you know, it's, it's good to get a sense of what things were in the 50s and even compare them to today. And obviously to get a sense of who God is and of course that's never changed and never will. I hope you're having a great holiday season. I love Christmas. I love you know everything that's coming up. Um, what, one request, and I said this in the closing in our class, is if there is a relationship you have that is damaged, that is not what it should be, I think that as Christians it is on us to make those relationships right. I think it's on us to seek healing for that and forgiveness even if you're the one that was wronged uh, it's rare that anyone responds to um, you saying you're sorry and asking for forgiveness with anger and i think that can begin the healing process and so i pray that um, you're able to find peace in all your relationships this christmas season we will be back it will be a couple weeks we've got you know we're off for christmas and for new year's and some things but uh, we really look forward to being back with you You can reach out to us, uh, Highland Church in general, or you can reach out to me, Kyle Fagala. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter. And I just wish all the best to you. It's been a great time doing these podcasts now uh, for maybe half the year, and we look forward to doing more in 2018. We will see you soon, and God bless.